um, you know, Birdie and Ileana, their their life is just a blessing to to Becky and I, and not just Becky and I as people, but to this whole church, um, and all the people in this church. Um, and so we're gonna make a a love offering to to Birdie and Ileana. Um, they didn't come here to get an offering. You know, that's one of the reasons why I love having them back here. Um, because they don't preach to get an offering. But we feel in our hearts that, man, their ministry is a blessing to us. Um, so we're going to give them an offering. If you feel like you want to participate in that and you want to uh, make a donation to give towards that, you can do that online if you're watching at gospelrevolutionchurch.com. You can leave a check. You can leave cash. Just put for Birdie and Ileana, and um, we'll add that into what we give them. Obviously, many of you already know Birdie and Ileana and their ministry, and so um, you know that uh, there's no obligation to give them uh, an offering. They came here to serve you all and serve Becky and I. They didn't come here. I mean, Ileana's in here trying to help me clean the church this morning. And you can see she feels uncomfortable. She's like, I must be serving here somewhere. What can I do, man? And I'm the stubborn kind of guy. I, don't ask, I won't let nobody help me. I'm like, nothing, nothing. It's a one-person job. And she, she won't take that. And so she, she looks around. She's like, what about that sign? Can I put that sign outside? Yes, yes, you could do that. <laughs> so we just love these guys. And, and um, some of you already know this story. But for those of you that don't, that are connected with our, our group here, um, Man, they hold a really dear place in Becky and I's hearts. And some of you maybe don't know, but if it wasn't for them, we probably would have shut this church down a long time ago because we worked at finance companies. We had no ministry background. And so we were like noobs, wet behind the ears. We're just excited about Jesus. And we just thought everybody else is just excited about Jesus. And nobody's out for their own benefit. Everybody's just out for Jesus. And then we started running into circles that it seemed more like a fraternity than the body of Christ, and people were more out for themselves and what they could get. And I don't know if I want to come to your church. How many people do you have there? How big of an offering will you give me? And so Becky and I, we felt very dejected, and we thought, what are we doing? This whole thing's fake. We're out of here. And we really felt like we were out of here, and unbeknownst to us, Bertie was across the state in Colorado at another conference. We had never met before. I just saw one of his videos, and we stayed an extra week just to go hear him. And um, just in talking with him, it was obvious that he was just out for the gospel. He didn't care how many people he had. You know, he, he's like, oh, I will come to your church. And immediately I'm thinking, well, you probably don't want to come. We don't have very many people. I don't know what we can. He's like, I don't care how many people you have. I don't want any of your money. I will come and minister to the people there. And that just, man, it, it just helped Becky and I to see that not everybody was out for themselves. And so I want you guys to know what a blessing you are to Becky and I. And um, there's a, a verse in the Sermon on the Mount that one of the translations that says, um, blessed are those who give it all for the sake of what's to come. And when I think of you guys, that's what I see. I see the endurance of the Lord Jesus in the two of you, and it's not by your will. I see that your eyes have been fixed on 
the resurrection of Jesus and that you've received strength that way. And you guys have endured in the midst of uh, great trouble in your lives. And you still preach the gospel with joy. And you still went about serving people with joy. And it's just a testimony to the resurrection and the power of the resurrection in your lives. And so I hope you guys know, even though you're across the world, your lives are no small thing to us. And uh, when I think of you all, it, it makes I almost even want to cry now because I just think of you guys have given it all for the sake of what's to come. And I know sometimes in the world you could think, what's it for? Man, it's an eternal thing that you guys have laid down your lives for. And it's impacted people mightily. It's impacted Becky and I. It's impacted everybody that's part of this group. It's impacted all the people that, that I've gone out and met with. And so thank you guys so much. Um, you're not just a guest speaker to us. You guys are family to us. You're not just somebody we bring in. And so, man, thank you for, for being with us, and, and thank you for everything. And I think that's all I'll say. Am I missing anything? Because I always miss everything. Is, is that it? I'm not missing anything? Jim. Oh, Monday morning. You guys can meet. I'm thinking I'm not going to be able to, if that's okay. Um, but you guys are able to meet if you want. And you don't have to tell me, but you can get the text. I'm going to be, I think, trying to get a bunch of stuff taken care of in the morning. Am I, you're not going to be here? Maybe we'll just, we'll just put it off this week. Yeah. Um, glory to God. Were you going to give this out or do you want me to? Anybody? Born from Innocence. Who who hasn't read the book? Kaylin, you want to do you read? Yeah, we'll read this. Well, I mean, I know you can read. I put him on the spot. <laughs> I I say funny things like that. I, I had a, a speaker once and I was trying to say something nice about the guy and I ended up saying that his doctrine wasn't very good, but the love of God is still in his heart. <laughs> What I meant was, you know, sometimes, you, you know, you, you don't spend much time opening books anymore. And so I didn't want to give it to you if, if you don't spend much time doing that. Um, but glory to God. Batterty, thank you. Yes, we're preaching now. It's on. Well, thank you so much, uh, Greg. You know, whatever there is in our life, whatever fruit there is in our life is the fruit of the Spirit. Born from what God freely gives, sharing His life. Amen. Uh, thank you so much for having me preach in this church and come and minister every, to everybody. Thank you for coming out and allowing uh, Eliana and I to come and serve you. It's a frustrating thing if you have something in your heart that you want to give and you want to share and you feel the excitement of what it brings to your heart and there's nobody that wants to hear. You know, let me tell you, this happened to me before. You know, you had a meeting and nobody comes. Then you preach to your wife or you just <laughs> recite the scripture, you know, or whatever. And she gets, she, she gets a lot of it. Uh, you know, what was it? What was she saying? You were saying it was yesterday or the day before. I can't remember. She says, well, I listen to four or five hours of your preaching every day. <laughs> because <laughs> my whole thought process, whatever I think of when, we, when we're in the car. 
we don't listen to music. We put a script, a, a thing on there when we listen to it then. What do you think? You know, and then we discuss the script and then you sometimes I find you sleeping a bit. Or Still human. She doesn't want to drive, so I drive, you know, because here you drive on the wrong side of the road. So it's a bit of an issue. We've been, I mean, the, the, time she, the one time she drove, we were uh, we're coming off the highway and then as you go to get to the T-junction, you can turn either now, left or right. And when you go left, it's this double lane with an island in the middle. And she didn't go, it's long left, short right. So, she, short left. Oh, I just said, I just said, I just said, park. <laughs> That's all I said. So, so she parked, we saw people on the other side laughing and then I turned around. I was just looking, where's that cop? Because when he sees this, he will definitely investigate. You know, so, well, and he wasn't there. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's amazing, you know, if you, if you get injured, you look for the doctor. But if you do something wrong, you're not looking for the cop. You know, it's, a, it's like that with the gospel as well. You know, when you, when you have pain and hurt, you know, so many times, sadly, people want to go to a place, accept everything but the Lord. But he's the healer. He's the one that is there for us. He's the, if you want to call it like that, moving, heaven's moving hospital. Helping people, going everywhere with us for the purpose of removing all death from us and giving us life. Amen. Well, let us pray together as we start our service. Father, I want to thank you so much that I can be here today. Abba, thank you that you've loved us from before the world began. And thank you that you had an eternal, lifelong dream for us. And you've come to share it in this world. Lord, I can see how you, when you made man from the dust of the earth, you made man with excitement in your heart, knowing that you will accomplish your purpose in this earth and bring heaven into earth and manifest your fullness in us so that we can feel what it feels like to share in your life. Spirit of God, power of life, thank you that you speak so powerfully through me today that I can reach every person's heart with your message and that what I say will resonate with what you've already been saying to them. Amen. Amen. Today I want to talk a little bit about the forgiveness of sins in the light of the resurrection and uh, yesterday I did lay a good foundation I would think I would hope as pertaining to the the physicality of salvation or the physicality of God's promise towards us and what I said yesterday and I think it's very important to know this is that everything God has for you is built on the foundation of him promising you it, meaning that he is to fulfill it. If somebody makes you a promise, there's nothing you can do to make that happen, but to simply wait for that person to fulfill the promise. That is the way it works. I remember uh, years ago, Eliana and I, we were living in a small town called Douglas in the geographical center of South Africa. And it's like a, to me, a kind of a desert town, not really what, what I had in mind for 
a nice town, but we lived there and we planted a church and helped people there. Now, I grew up in the northeastern part of South Africa, which is very mountainous, beautiful waterfalls and green and everything. And all of a sudden, I was here in a semi-desert. And uh, there's not, I, I remember I said, I asked directions and they say, no, you just drive towards the mountain. And I looked and I couldn't see anything. <laughs> there's no mountain. It was like a, a little, not even a hill. Well, anyway, and uh, we were living there, and uh, Elena likes to, whenever we would rent a place, beautify it. We paint it, and we decorate it, and always make it nice. And then one day she said to me, uh, Bertie, I want my own house. I'm all the time fixing up other people's house. I want my own house. I said, well, um, we live for free on this farm. This farmer allowed us to live there for free. Uh, we didn't even have money to rent a place. So uh, then I was thinking, well, I wanted to move from the farm closer to town. And then I was thinking of just renting there. I couldn't afford it. And, um, but we said, let's pray. I said, let's pray. And we took a map of South Africa and uh, opened up the map. And we said, where do we want to live? And I said, well, I don't want to live here. The church that we've planted, we've planted it. We've given it over. It's successful and everything. And I started to preach on television. And I said, well... I need a place where there's at least some, a mountain. It wasn't maybe the most spiritual way of thinking of it, but I want at least a mountain close to an airport, and I don't want to be on the ocean, but it mustn't be too far. And I don't want to live in a city. So uh, we went down the East Coast looking at places, and then we, where we live now in Malmesbury area, I said, we said, well, Lord, it would be nice if we can live there. Amen. And we closed the map. That was it. As simple as that. And forgot about it. About a week or 10 days later, a friend of mine that was from university days, I haven't spoken to him for year, uh, in years, he called me up and he said to me, Bertie, you know what? I had a dream. And in this dream, the Lord showed me I must buy you a house. I <laughs> I must buy you a house. I said, well, I, I just said to him, basically, thank you, and put the phone down. You know, I was a bit, bit shocked. Um, but he basically just felt that that is it. And then he said to me, listen, you can obviously pick a house anywhere you want, but it would be nice for him if we have a house, and then he named the town and the area where we picked. So... And that's where we live today. Now, the point I want to make is this. After he made that promise, what could I do to get him to buy that house? Nothing. It was within his ability. He, I mean, he, and I must say it was a miracle how he got that house because he felt this hard to do it and had to get a loan and didn't even know if he would qualify for it. You know, that is how he... He did it. And I mean, the Lord provided, but it was within, it was something he promised, something that he felt he wants to do. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing that I did to convince him to do it. I didn't beg for the house. I didn't hint for the house. I didn't speak about a house. It was something that the Lord has put in his heart. And all I can do is now believe, you know, and simply rest, continue with my life. I not from that moment start to try and confess the house. You know, no, I just continue with my life the way I always continued with my life. 
and I called him the next day and I explained to him a little bit on uh, you know how we prayed and everything and he said well thank you uh, for that because it felt a little bit weird the way I answered him you know I just said thank you and basically that was it and um, I explained to him the whole thing and he says well he feels really that that is from God then I left it and I said well I'm sometimes people can promise you something and they change their mind and then I just leave it and see what happens and I think it was about five, six months later, he calls me, he says, listen, man, do you want this house? I want to buy you this house. And then I knew this guy's really serious. And we drove down and he did buy the house. But in that whole time when I didn't see the house manifest or any of those things, what could I do? I could simply continue with my life and rest and let him fulfill what he has promised. That is all. Now we have got a God that before time, he has dreamt to have eternal immortal human beings as his family and friends to make a earth create an earth a place where he can bring these people forth and then come and dwell with them forever and he promised us that now what can we do what can you do? I mean, he, and the most beautiful thing is that I like about the fact that God made us from dust is if you promise dust something, that dust, you cannot expect much from it. You know, you can basically, if the dust has got a mind, will, and emotion, it would basically be for the purpose of that dust once made alive to receive what was given. God made us just strong enough so that we can receive. He's given us just enough strength, just enough will, just enough intellect to receive what He freely gives us. Our mind and our brain is there to perceive God. Our body is there to experience God, to have the fullness of God. That's why He's made us. And the most beautiful thing is that He made us as individuals, as a people, as a person. And he will, and only God knows how that works, but he will bring his fullness, that the fullness of God, as it's demonstrated bodily in Jesus, he will bring into each one of you without losing the person. So that it will still be you. That is beautiful. Imagine how special that is. That the Almighty God looks at you. He makes you from the dust of the earth. And then when He looks at you, He says, This is uh, Bertie Helena. This is John or Mary or uh, Rick or whoever. He, you, you, he says, This is this person. And I want to preserve this person forevermore because I want that person forever. I don't want them to be lost. And because we are made of this earth and of the substance of this earth, what makes each one of us unique is not just the personality, but also the physical person. I mean, if Elena is uh, in, in my bedroom, and then tomorrow someone else that talks like her and try and act like her, I find her in my bed, that's wrong. That's not Elena. That's someone else. So she might act like Eliana, she might try and speak like Eliana, try and copy her mannerisms, but if it is not the body of my wife, it's not her, it's someone else. 
We are not just what we are inside. We are a complete human being. And if God wants to preserve you, He's got to preserve all of you. The whole of you. And that is what we see in Jesus. Jesus was saved from death in that he was bodily raised from the dead. And he did not see, and he will not see corruption, because the body that he had that could corrupt was changed into a body that cannot see corruption. His soul was not left in hell, and neither did he see corruption, because in the resurrection he receives a body that can never die. And that is God's message to all of us. And who of us, by baking cakes for your neighbor, or giving a tithe, can make yourself immortal. Nobody. And I think the objective that there was in the church was simply to see how can we live good enough that we can go to heaven. And I think that's why we could easily be tempted with the law and with works righteousness because the vision seems as if it is within the reach of man. Because if we just live good enough, we must just convince God in his mind that we are valuable enough and then he will let us go into heaven by good works. But if the objective is to live and never die, then we will immediately say, well, I know that no government can give it to me. I know that money cannot give it to me because you can take a stack of money, put it next to a grave and see if that guy's going to come out. He's not coming out. So that would mean money cannot save me. You can then think of your best plan that there is. You can take your next political leader and you can put him next to a grave and see what he can do. Then you see, well, he looks at it with fear because he's heading there. So he cannot solve your problem. Because the true problem that there is and the objective that, we, that God has for us and God has written that in our hearts is to live forever like Jesus. I'm so glad Jesus was raised from the dead. I'm so glad I'm not living in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament we could still wonder, what does God's word and promise really look like? What would it be? Yes, we know that we will have a Messiah if we were, you were a Jew. Yes, we know that He's going to do something in the earth. But what is He going to do? And it would be, I mean, the Jewish people were at, were at such a place that when it happened, they could not even see it. They didn't know it. They took the Lord of glory or the Prince of life and killed Him. Then the Father said, okay, you've now killed Him. Let me raise Him from the dead. So this is He. You can now believe upon Him. He will give you life. And what, he, what does He do? He conquers death and brings the rule of heaven into this earth. And that life is what's working in this world. So the end goal that God has for us is eternal life. And it is by promise. So that it can be by grace. Grace would then be the power by which God brings forth what He has promised into this world. And if we are in sin, if we have sin, what grace will do is it will still bring forth the promise of God in this world and it will deliver you from sin. It's a, it's a radical statement, but we don't repent from sin. You get saved from sin. If we could repent from sin, then we wouldn't need Jesus. Then we just stop it. I've seen this video when somebody complains and the guy just says, stop it. And then he said this and this and this about my husband or this. Then he just says, stop it. And I was thinking, well, 
it might seem logical, but that woman can't, man. She's going to continue to say what she says because that is in her, the fear and anxiety and so forth. And sadly, you know, we've thought that ending sin is to stop it. But we find that the Bible says you shall call his name Jesus and he shall save his people from their sin. What we repent of is what we believe about how we receive life. That's what we repent of. Now, I would like to read this verse. I read it yesterday and then I want to... With this said that everything is by promise and that God will bring forth his promise which is defined as eternal life. Eternal life meaning the quality of life that God possesses manifest in human flesh as demonstrated in the resurrected eternal man or human if you want to call him human, Jesus. There's a great thing about the physicality of, of the word. We are, we, I mean, so think of yourself. What role does physicality play in your life? <laughs> and then if we want to think of salvation and we want to define it outside of that, I want to tell you it's not relevant. It's not relevant. It's got no power, cannot reach you, cannot touch you. But we find that the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld His glory. And when we think of the Word being made flesh and dwelt amongst us, we should not just think of baby Jesus. We should think of the resurrected Christ that can never die, that can now, is now dwelling amongst us. Amen. Now, uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 8. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be a partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which I've now explained uh, this morning so far, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But this purpose and this grace that was given before the world began has now been made manifested or was manifested by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen to how, what he defines salvation here. Who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And now the key verse. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher to the Gentiles. What does Paul say? He says, I'm appointed to preach the gospel that life and the end, even if it is after we die, there'll be a resurrection, but the whole message of life, the rule of life has entered this world and the end of that will be immortality and that was revealed through the gospel which is the kingdom of God that has come to the earth and raised Jesus from the dead. That's the gospel. Now, I said it yesterday, for those of you that, don't, that weren't here, let me repeat it. When Jesus was living on the earth, you would find that there would be some gospel, some kind of a gospel. Well, he's a healer. He can take some bread, he can multiply it, he can do some good miracles and so forth. That sounds like good news. And then there was a kind of a good news going about, which was saying, well, uh, you know, he might be the Messiah. He might be the one that's going to deliver us from Rome. And yesterday I explained on 
what it was to live under Rome. It wasn't a nice situation. You want deliverance from Rome. It's much different than what we would have today. It would even be different than what you would have in North Korea. It wasn't nice. They were living under Rome. They were thinking, yes, I'm good news. This guy is highly intelligent. He's got a following. He's sometimes there's 5,000 men. You know, bread is being broken. He feeds everybody. This can be the Messiah. He's, he will be able to, if he can do that, imagine if he takes up a sword. You know, he can sort Rome out, you know. And then what happens? Jesus dies. When Jesus died, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And we find nobody happy. No joy. The concept of Jesus dying and then his spirit going to heaven or his life being in the hands of God and so forth didn't cause joy in anybody. That was not good news. It was not gospel. The word gospel means good news. Then Jesus, after being in the grave for three days, was raised from the dead. And after he was raised from the dead, Mary had something good to say. She had good news. A good new thing, if you want to call it like that. What is new? This is the new thing that has happened. That's what news is about. This new thing has happened. Jesus was raised from the dead. They did not believe it. They did not believe it. Then Jesus, when he appeared to them, said to them, those who, he says to them, go and preach the gospel. That's what he said to them. Go and preach the good news, which is what? That the earth has a leader, a man unto whom all authority and power has been given, that has conquered the decay in this earth, and that the promise of God is now entering into this world, and God is busy establishing what is promised before the world began in this earth. He promised, it took a long time, but what He promised was eternal life. People didn't know how it looked, they didn't really know what it was, but they said that promise of eternal life, which we didn't know what it truly was, it has now manifested. We see it, we could see it, feel it, touch it. It is Jesus. God has brought forth the fullness of God in a human, Jesus. And He went to sit at the right hand of God, meaning He's now at the steer of things, bringing heaven to earth in each one that believes. And we are under that power. That power is called grace. That is the grace of God. That is the goodness of God to bring forth what He has promised us. And Paul says here, and I read it again. He says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. In other words, we can put it like this way. According to His own purpose and the power by which He will bring it forth in Jesus. He's called us to His own purpose. And this is what we need to understand, His own purpose and the grace, His power to bring it forth. That's what grace is. Now, with that said, I think we can just read some, some passages um, like 1 Corinthians here. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, Grace be unto you. 
and peace. What is grace? The power to bring the eternal kingdom into this world, setting things right, bringing justice to this world. Do you know what justice is? The easiest way I can define justice is this. Justice is defined according to original intent. That means that, let's say somebody gives me, it happened before, somebody comes and says, I, I pay for a business class ticket for you. I give this money to you. Now, if I take that money and I use it for something else, it's not just. Because that was what it was given for. I cannot do that. It would be unjust towards the one that has given the money for. That is the intent. So, if justice would prevail, it would mean that life will take place according to that intent. Now, if God has decided and He... Uh, out of the love of who he is said, I'm bringing forth people in this earth by my power that will be like me and they will share in the fullness of my life by my power. Anything that doesn't look like that, God would say it's unjust. And for him to bring justice to the earth would be to line the earth up with what he said by his power. That's why we are justified with life. We are justified with peace. It's unjust that we don't have the fruit of the Spirit. It's unjust. And that's why we can cry and say, God, I come before your throne of grace. What is the throne of grace? The power to bring eternal life into this world. And I want to tell you the throne of grace is much, much greater than the White House. It's much greater than our state union building and whatever's going on there in South Africa, than our parliament. It's much greater than all of that. The grace they have or the power they have is unto death. It cannot give life. Neither is any of the grace we have. In other words, the power we have to try and bring something forth. We must stand under His grace so that we can be justified and that the justification of life can come to us. And as we stand under that, we find it. You know, this morning we were um, listening to some songs and I was speaking to Greg and I was, say, I was saying this, I see this life of God, this grace of God entering into this world. There are many that don't even understand what they say and what they preach, but you find the underlying tone of grace and the power of God bringing forth His justice in this world. I see that. It cannot be stopped. It's like that Katrina flood that was here. You can pack some sandbags, you can do whatever you want. It's just going to go through. And that is what God has promised and that is what He's bringing forth. And that is a salvation that is for this world. Now, so when we look at this and He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Let me just explain, uh, explain that quickly. When He says, Grace to you, He says, The power that God decided, which is the power of the resurrection or the power of the life of God, the very existence of God, the His whole being, bringing forth life in this earth. When He says, grace to you and peace, shalom, that peace, I believe, is what happens inside our heart when we hear a promise by someone that can fulfill it. It makes you rest. It brings a shalom to you. But that peace is also in 
the definition that Paul have here, I believe, has got a lot to do with harmony between the Jews and the Gentiles. Because now that Jesus Christ has come and has given His Son to conquer death in the flesh, He means He's conquered it for everybody that has death. That would be for the Jews and for the Gentiles. So what He's saying here, He says, grace, to you, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this peace is, there's harmony between Jew and Gentile. It means that He's conquered the death of all people groups. It talks about the fulfillment of the law. And He says, it's from the Father and the Son. And you'll realize, if you read John 17, it says, to know the Father and to know the Son is eternal life. So when He greets people, He basically says it this way. The power of God to bring forth Absolute, the power of God to, to bring forth God's original plan in your life as well as harmony that there is now between Jew and Gentile because the rule of Christ has come to the earth to you from God the Father and the Son. And when he says the Father and the Son, he says he's already glorified Jesus to rule in the earth. That's why the Father and the Son, Jesus says, Father glorify me that I may glorify you. For unto you you've given me the power over all flesh to give them eternal life. So when he greets and he says, I greet you, greetings or grace or the power to bring forth God's original dream from the Father and the Son. He's talking from the revelation that Jesus was raised from the dead and that the rule of life that was before the world has entered the earth. And that we stand under that rule. We are under the rule of life. And Jesus prays so beautifully in John 17. He says, I'm not praying that you should remove them from the world, keep them in the world, but just save them from the world. So we're in this world, but we're not from this world. And the life we have is not from this world, it is from heaven. We live from the knowledge that we have the hope of eternal life. We're not hopeless. And I think what has happened in the church, we've, we've had a hopeless message because we have excluded the physical resurrection from our gospel. Paul says, I was called unto that. Now, if we think of all of this, and we think of the forgiveness of sin, how does forgiveness of sin look in the light of the promise, the kingdom that is now coming to this world, the whole thing of God bringing His rule to this earth, when we don't have to be afraid, we simply believe we rest, we have a life born from knowing that we've been begotten unto a new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, knowing that He is Lord, knowing that He's actively busy in the world, and knowing that heaven is destined for earth. How do we define forgiveness of sin? The Bible says that there would be no forgiveness of sin in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 16 should Jesus not have been raised from the dead. It says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Now, I always define forgiveness of sin as God, and I would say traditionally is defined like this, that one committed sin and then you've sinned towards God and God bears knowledge of the wrong thing that you've done and then God would basically feel the way we feel when somebody has done something wrong towards us and now we are forgiveness would be basically then saying well okay I don't keep it against you that is forgiveness now how that forgiveness takes place with us is 
it's basically a change of mind. We think a bit, we think, okay, we give him another chance. I don't actually know how to even describe it on how we forgive. We're, not, we, we're basically not angry anymore. That is how we forgive. But we find here, the Bible says, that if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we were still in our sins. So this doesn't have a lot to do with what is going on in the heart of God when you've done something wrong. When God looks at sin, when He looked at man, and He looked at man in sin, when He looked at Adam's sin, where he started to live from his own power. He says, well, the only way I can forgive them of their sin is someone needs to be raised from the dead, bodily. Otherwise, there's no forgiveness of sin. So that would mean God has a completely different view of what sin is and how to deliver people from sin than what the church has had in broad for many, for, for a thousand years maybe, I don't know. It's like, what is this forgiveness of sin? Now, let me define sin, and then I'll, I'll come back. I'm going to define sin, and I'll get back into this. When we think of sin, we need to think of sin as um, missing the mark, missing the goal, not partaking in, not sharing in the life of God. Now, the word sin in the Old Testament was explained with a metaphor of a weight, a burden that you are carrying. Now we'll get back to this, but I'll just throw this in quickly. When Adam sinned, he basically said the following. God made Adam from the dust of the earth. Then God promised him, as I've explained this morning, eternal life. He said to Adam, Adam, you see he's a tree of life. I can give you eternal life. And then there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is also used in, um, I think it's 2 Samuel somewhere, where it talks about uh, King David, that someone comes to King David and says to him, listen, uh, King David, could you are like the angels, like Elohim, that has knowledge of good and evil. You decide over life. You decide if something will live or die. You basically reign and rule like a god in this earth. Please make this decision, for a certain decision for me, that there can be life. So we, from there we find that the tree of knowledge of good and evil is basically a place where life and death is determined by yourself. Now, God has that power. He can give eternal life, but we cannot. So what he's saying to Adam actually in the Garden of Eden is, I am God and I promise you eternal life and you, by your own ability, don't have the power to bring it to yourself. It is only me who can give it to you for free. And the moment you stand in the power to bring it forth in yourself, since the power you'll have to use to do it is your own power and you made from dust, you will simply return to the dust. You don't have that power. Now, what was Adam doing when he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He took the burden to see what God has promised come forth in his life by his own power. He was carrying the burden of life. I hope you hear what I'm saying. That's sin. That's a sin. You're making yourself God. That's why the Bible says you shall bring no other gods before me. It's actually talking about, you will not make yourself a God before me. I'm God. And I will give it to you for free. And I have dreamt this, and I can do it. 
And even when man went in his own power to, and tried to, to stand in the solitude of himself, it brought forth death in the earth. But God's promise is stronger than the disobedience of Adam. God's dream is stronger than that. And He brought forth Jesus. It, he entered into our dustiness or the dustiness of the world and He could bear the weight of death in this sense that Jesus didn't try to lift the weight of, of, of bringing or the weight of death or we can say uh, to bring life into this world. He didn't carry it on his shoulders he was a man and he continually said it's on the shoulders of my Abba to remove this death from me and to give me life and that's how Jesus did not sin Jesus never sinned and how Jesus never sinned was not about breaking a commandment in the law and so forth we find that Jesus ate with unwashed hands we find that uh, Jesus would uh, meet with people that according to the law and the customs and the interpretation of that day, they would say, this is not right. But, and by that I'm not saying Jesus broke the law. He fulfilled the law. But just hear me out. People could find the law and say, you do this wrong here, you do that wrong there. But Jesus never sinned, meaning He never took the burden to lift death and bring life unto Himself. He trusted the Father. He trusted the Father. And He is the perfect human. He shows us what true humanity looks like. It is to simply trust the Father. And death was lifted by the Father. And sin is removed. So, the burden, to bear, the burden that's upon your shoulders to make something work, that burden is sin. And He's come to forgive us of our sins. He's come to lift the burden from us to produce life. Because He's promised us life from the beginning. And when we halfway or mankind halfway went and said, I will carry it. I will bring forth life. I'll bring forth joy. I'll bring forth righteousness in this world. I'll bring forth what I see in heaven by my own power. I don't really need God. What happened? We find the dustiness come. But Jesus said, well, I'm a human and God the Father has promised me and He said that they will kill me. And then He said, well, basically, when you're born from Mary, you're made from the dust of the earth and you will die. But I promise you, Jesus, the tree of life. Because was Jesus not the last Adam? Was the first Adam not a shadow of the one that was to come? Exactly. And what does Jesus do? He does not sin. He doesn't take it upon Himself to bring eternal life into this earth. He trusts the Father. And the Father shows what is always promised. And He raises Him from the dead. And so life has entered the earth. And the beautiful thing is, He appointed Him as the Lord to rule in this earth. And we stand under that. We who then believe upon Him, we are flesh of His flesh. We are bone of His bone. We have become one. Paul uses the language of marriage. 
like a husband and wife becoming one flesh. He will leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife. We find the word of God leaving heaven, cleaving unto flesh and bringing the life of heaven into this earth and we are flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. And the very life that's in the body of Jesus, we've been united to as physical human beings that believe upon the Lord. And so he lifts the weight off our backs to produce life. So, sin, according to, this is my definition of sin, is Adam taking the burden upon himself to bring life. Now, I ask God, why was it, if Adam was basically created in a perfect world, now, which I don't think it is the case, but if you think Adam was created in the perfect world like we traditionally believe, then we would say, um, well, how could he be tempted? Because imagine now, here you are, here's the garden, here's everything that's nice, now the devil comes and he tempts you. I think it came in this way, and obviously this is an opinion. I say an opinion is like a nose. It's got two holes in it. This is, an, this is just an opinion. I'm of the opinion that when God said to Adam, Adam, let me name you. Your name is Adam. You are of the earth. You are dependent upon me for life. I am going to give it to you. I want to give it to you. But by yourself, you cannot do it. You've got something in you that if you don't have this life from me, you are from the dust. That's your nature. That's what you'll return unto. But you're okay. I will seal you in the fullness of who I am. I'm busy with this process. Walk with me. I'll do it. The same way as with Jesus when he was born. When Jesus was born, he had to know, I am mortal. I can die. But the Father has promised me. The Father is there for me and the full glory of the Father belongs to me and He shall manifest it in me. Now, when a person say that and you hear that message that you can die, it's a, there's a possibility because even before Adam sinned, God said to him, you can die. That's not a nice thought. If someone else come to you and say, that's not really true. It would kind of be comforting to say, okay, <laughs> yeah. That it's like you go to the doctor um, and you, your stomach aches. You know, when, you, when you're young and your stomach aches, you've got a stomach ache. But you're 50 or 60 and your stomach aches. Lord, what is this? <laughs> is this the cancer? What is this? You go to the doctor, he feels a bit like this, he says, ah, this is cancer, you know. But for this specific cancer, we've got a certain medicine. You know, we've got the chemo and we've got some radiation and stuff, we will, we will help you. You'll be okay. Or, if you go to another doctor and he feels, do a sonar and say, you bloated, man. That's all. I mean, it's much easier to believe the one that says, you don't have the cancer. And I think, I'm not saying God made Adam with cancer. 
but he made Adam not to have eternal life in himself. And that would then put you at a place where your life is dependent on the faithfulness of another. And that makes it kind of difficult, you know, because you would rather trust yourself. You would rather say to God, give me the method by which I can do and bring life and then I'll do it because then I know it will work because I've got my own interest at heart and I know that I will give myself life. And so you'll become a God in yourself. But God, from the beginning, made it by promise. It is not within our ability. because It's not because God just wants to be funny. It's because He is the only eternal and the only immortal. And He wants to share His life. He's promised us. So I think that can be a, a little bit of a, that's my opinion on that. You can go and think about that. I think that is why. And I think that is where it is today. When we hear that we can die, we don't want to hear that. But God says, I'll give it to you. And then God has demonstrated in Christ that He can do it. And then we want to sin. And sin is, we look at the Bible, we look at what Jesus done, we look at what God has done, and then we say, we are just going to copy that, we're going to follow those principles, and we will then produce life in ourselves. And that's where teachings like tithing and sowing and reaping and all those things come from. That drives us. We would look at what God can give, then we think if I can just get the things God can give, that will produce life for me. It doesn't work like that. Now, listen to this. This talks about Jesus' resurrection. And I'm reading from Acts 13 verse 33. We're thinking of the resurrection, the burden that man carries to produce life. We, can, we, we even got language for that. I mentioned yesterday when we work, we say we're making a living. Isn't it? We're making a living. We're creating life. I'm not saying we should not work. We work in this world. And we find that we have finances through the work and all those kind of things. But I want to tell you, don't live by that. Because you know, you can lose your job. You can lose your business. And your business... And your job, if it cannot raise you from the dead, there's no eternal life in it. And that's how we should treat it. We do our work, we do our business, and we do it good. Why? Because we know we already have eternal life. And from there we do what we do. Now, it says in Acts 13 verse 33, talking about the forgiveness of sins. And God has fulfilled the same unto us, His children, in that He raised Jesus up again, as is written in the second psalm. You are my son, this day have I begotten you. And as concerning that He raised Him from the dead, now no more to return to the grave. He says unto it this way, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he says in another psalm, you shall not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after that he served in his generation by the will of God, died and was laid with his fathers and he did see corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption bodily. Then he says in verse 38, be it known therefore because of this resurrection, men and brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. What is the sin? It's the burden you bear to have life. And he says, look at this man. He was in the grave. 
and David died and he's still dead, but Jesus died and was raised. Therefore, through him we preach unto you the forgiveness from the burden you carry to produce life. Yeah. Hallelujah. Do you know how that, that changes ministry for me? I'm not preaching to have life. I have life and I preach. It changes the whole thing. I don't find life from the ministry. I don't, as much as what I want all people to believe the gospel, as much as what it would be nice to have 10,000 people hear the gospel at one time when I preach, I find no life from that. Not at all. Because my sin has been forgiven and now I don't have to abuse people anymore. People don't have to give me life anymore. I don't now have to think, well, they must attend church, they must do this, they must do that, things must grow like this and that, whatever, so that I can have the affirmation of life from that and live from it. Because I don't lack life. God has given me eternal life. When, once that is believed and through Him the forgiveness of sin has been given, you can actually say, the abound, amount of life I have is of such abundance that I can give life. I don't need another to give me life. I'm there to give life. And I can testify to this from my own life. The Bible says, the testimony of him that testifies by himself is no testimony at all. Others need to testify, but well, spare me the foolishness. I can testify of what the Lord has done. I'm sure my wife can testify of what is done in our lives. This message, and we've had this for many years in our life, that this is, is the case. When we would go anywhere to minister, it is to serve with a true heart to serve. But I remember a time when it was not like that, where I would look at the reaction of the people or whatever, and I would get life from it. And then the ministry and everything you do will be revolve, revolve around a thing where we just need to hype the people up, get them happy enough, get them excited enough, so that we can find life from it. Why? Because you're sinning. <laughs> you're sinning. Everything you do is a sin. Every worship service you do, the way you do your music, everything you do, if it's done not from the revelation that the burden to, to bring life is upon Jesus and my burden has been removed, I'm not carrying that burden anymore. My sin has been removed. He's given me eternal life. He's proven it. Jesus had to be raised. When He was raised, He says, through Him is preached to you the deliverance from the burden to produce life. Before that, everything that's done, every outreach that's arranged, everything that is, and I'm using ministry because it's, it's, it's these holy things, everything that is done is born from sin to find life from that. Because you're bearing the burden of producing life. And people feel it. People cry. People feel abused. People feel hurt. You feel that. There's pain there. But Jesus come to deliver us from that. Can you see how it will be a problem to really have forgiveness of sins if you only think that forgiveness of sin is a feeling in God's heart? God doesn't struggle with feelings. 
Man, he's for you. It's like when you go to the doctor. You know, I mean, if, if you don't have a driver's license or if you are driving under the influence, let's say you're driving under the influence, who of you is going to pull the police officer over and say, listen, I just want to say, you know, I've had five too many. You're not doing that. But you'll find a person that, has, that can have a sexual transmitted, transmitted disease go to the doctor and boldly say, I've got a problem. Because what is the doctor there for? He's there to help you, to heal you. That's his vision. You don't find when the doctor sees that, now he's got an issue in his heart. Oh, I'm angry now. No, I, no. he doesn't look at it like that. He's there to help you. And that is exactly the same thing we find with God, with the Israelites, when He presents Himself to the people. He presents Himself as the one that delivers from the burden to produce life. In offering you life, He presents Himself as the one that forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And Moses understood in Exodus 34 exactly what it meant when God presented Himself as one that forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, that will visit the sins of the fathers upon the children's children until the third and fourth generation with the mercy that He's keeping for everyone. Moses knew what it was. He says, God, come and live amongst us and pardon our iniquity and take us for your inheritance. What that means is, God, if that is the case, if that is who you are, come and inherit all our problems. That's what he's saying. Then God said, build me a tent. I'll move in. And everything there, the sacrifices and all those kind of things, the priests, I will read some of those verses today, was to bear the sins of the people. To remove from them the burden to produce life so that God can produce the life. That is what the temple was all about. The temple was the presence of life amongst people to remove the burden that people carry to give them life for free. That's what it was all about. It says in verse 8, And Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If I have found grace in your sight, Lord, let my Lord, I pray, come amongst us, for this is a stiff-necked people. When you, when you say to God, God, this is a stiff-necked people, and the way you present yourself means here you can be yourself. Isn't it? That is the kind of thing. They stiff-neck. They need their stiff-neckedness to be removed from them. We've got a problem here. And we see that you can fix this. Come and live amongst us. Moses never had the thought when God presented himself in who he was in the presence of a bunch of sinners that God had an issue in his heart with what these people are doing wrong. He found that God presented himself as one who's got an issue with a death that is in the people, and he knows he's got the ability to lift the burden. When we think of sin, we must think of a weight. Now, we also find in the New Testament that the word sin is translated as a debt. You know, something that you need to pay. And I think that is where the thing comes in. And I read up on this a bit, and 
I found this one scholar that did a lot of research on this, uh, explained something that I never knew. When the, the ancient Hebrew, up until about 500 before Christ, before the Babylonian exile, when all the Israelites were taken to Babylon, the metaphor that was used for uh, sin was a weight. It was used 117 times as a weight, explaining a burden that you are bearing. But in 500 before Christ, when the Jews were taken to Bab uh, Bab Babylon, they were taught Aramaic. And Jesus spoke Aramaic. I never knew this. I read it up the other day. That uh, in the temple, they would have a translator where they would read the Hebrew and then translate into Aramaic that the people could understand, the Jews. Because the language at the mother tongue was Aramaic. Because of this Babylonian exile. And the Babylonians didn't use a weight as a metaphor. They used debt as a metaphor. Now, the metaphor gives rise to the thought. In other words, if you think of it as a weight, you think of something that you're carrying, someone that can lift it from you. There's not so much guilt going with it. It's a heavy thing that you are carrying. If you're seeing somebody carrying a burden, you can even have a compassion. But if you think of a debt that's unpaid, then the whole law system is behind that. And then that person is judged as a bad person who doesn't want to pay his debt. And the feelings and the emotions that go with it is then defined with debt and the payment of debt and so forth. And Jesus did use that language talking about the payment of a debt and someone owed and another one paid because he enters our cultural river. He enters in where we are and use our language. But you will find that Peter and even Jesus in Matthew uh, uh, 11, 28 clearly says that, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. With what? With a burden to produce life. Where? In your physical body. He says, And I will give you rest. Come and learn of me. For I am meek and gentle in heart. And you will find rest. Where do we find the rest? In the promise we see in Jesus being raised from the dead and ruling with life over us. That is what we see. So when we look at the forgiveness of sin, we need to look at it, I believe, and just go back to the ancient Hebrew way of looking at it, as a, a weight that is carried. In Luke, let me just, how long have I preached? I'm going to take another 10 minutes. Okay. 10 minutes I'm finished. Some of you are suffering. In Leviticus 16, it talks about the scapegoat. The scapegoat, what did he do? The Bible says here, And Aaron shall lay both hands upon the head of the goat, and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions, and in all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and he shall send him away by the hand of a man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities, and carry it into an inhabited land, bearing, carrying the sin, the weight that is upon him. Exodus, and Aaron, um, it shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear the iniquities of all the 
yeah, the iniquity of all the holy things of Israel and consecrate them all. We can see here bearing that responsibility, bearing that weight to produce life. That is what Jesus has come to do for us. If we think of sin and we use the metaphor of a weight or the responsibility or the burden we carry, we can see how it makes sense that Jesus had to be raised from the dead to carry that burden. If we see the original vision, the resurrection makes sense. I can end up with this. If you think of, if you think of the gospel as a Christian, and to look at everything that has happened in the old, and your conclusion is not, well, the only thing that can solve this is if someone is raised from the dead to never die and rule on the earth forevermore. If that's not your conclusion, you've never understood the original vision or the problem. Never understood it. And yet today, we find at large the resurrection not even in the pulpit. It's because we've never understood the original plan and then we never understood what went wrong. The original plan was eternal life and what went wrong is people are dying. And if we understand that, we will find the solution is very clear if someone can be raised from the dead and then rule with his life in this earth. And if we can be one with his body so in, and if he can then give his spirit to us, the spirit that quickened his body, if we can have that, then we can find heaven come to earth. Think of it this way, whenever you think of the gospel, when God looked at the earth and everything, he knew what had to take place to solve the problem. But what's our conclusion? Well, if I can have this breakthrough, if I can have this money in this bank, if I can have this, if that can happen, if this president can just change or whatever, that's not the, that's not the issue. The issue is mortality, but life and immortality has come to light through the gospel, and that is that Jesus was raised from the dead. I want to tell you, we have hope. We have hope. You don't have to live in despair. I said yesterday, as I've come into the U.S., I, I drove here, I, I just had to go to the first, second town. I could feel that there's a, there's a despair, there's a hopelessness. And I want to tell you, as the church, we're not bearing that. That's not our burden. We don't have to try and change America. We don't have to ch try and change anything. Jesus has put upon him the burden that we, to bring us life. And the way it was carried was not even by Jesus himself. It was by the Father raising Jesus from the dead. And you can have hope. Life is yours wherever you are, whatever place you are. God doesn't have to bring it through a government or through a system. He brings it through his spirit in your heart, into your house, with you right there where you are. And he says, you are my body. You are mine forevermore. And your life, all of you, is 100% safe in my hands. Amen. Amen. Let us just pray. Father, I want to thank you so much that we can be here. Father, you've come to forgive our sins. There's so much to say about this. There's so much scriptures that can just prove this. But thank you, Lord, that we can, when we see Jesus raised from the dead, we know there's an excitement in us. Lord, I know that we can see Jesus die upon the cross and we can say we know Christ and in crucified and we can say Jesus was crucified but we are knowing Jesus as the resurrected Jesus that was crucified that has conquered death and Lord whenever we stare death in the face 
in this world, we see Christ that has gone through the cross, through death, and stands up full of life. And we can say, we confess you as Lord. You rule over our lives. Father, I declare these people blessed because of what you've done. How privileged are we not? Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. If there's anybody that needs prayer, Greg is still fine. I'll just be here if people need prayer. Afterwards, if you need prayer, just come up to me. I'll pray for you.